Welcome back for the second season of The Policy Lowdown, the podcast from the Maryland Center on Economic Policy, offering straight talk on the policy choices that shape Maryland communities. I'm your host, Kevin Slayton. Before I introduce today's guest, I just want to say thank you to all of you for listening and supporting our inaugural season. We're excited to be back in the studio and bringing you new guests, thoughtful conversations over the coming weeks. Season one, as you may recall, focused on the state budget and how it affects all of our lives. And while we were branching out into other topics, this season I think it's appropriate that we're starting off talking about budgets again, but this time we'll be focusing and discussing on specifically the Baltimore City budget. I couldn't have two better guests than those who I have with me today. I'm excited to welcome two fantastic individuals, two two guys that I think are absolutely brilliant in the work that they do. First, I'd like to introduce Baltimore City's controller, Brother Bill Henry. Bill Henry has served as the city's controller since December of 2020 and previously served on the Baltimore City Council. Brother Henry, please tell us a little about yourself and share a little bit about what the controller actually does. (laughs) Uh, Well, first of all, thank you for for having me here. Uh, The controller, uh, a lot of people think that the controller is in charge of the city's money. Uh, that, That was true. That was true until about a generation or so ago when a former mayor did a power grab and and took all of the financial entities out from under the comptroller, uh, the uh, the office of procurement, the uh, the the budget uh, bureau, the accounts receivable, collections, uh, took all of that away and um, and created a department of finance under the mayor. And uh, what was given to the comptroller at the time was the Department of Audits. And uh, between now having the Department of Audits and the, the new at the time comptroller, uh, Hyman Pressman, uh, there was a, a new culture created of the comptroller as a watchdog, that the comptroller keeps an eye on the mayor and the mayor's agencies in terms of uh, how they are spending uh, our tax dollars, uh, the city money, and um, the way that our office has done that for the last two and a half years is by trying to make the city's dealings more open, more transparent, uh, because at the end of the day, the important thing about a watchdog is it lets the people know something's going on. And so uh, we uh, work with the administration to try to help them find ways to be more effective and more efficient with uh, with our with our with our money. But at the uh, at the other, you know, the other thing we do is we try to be as open as possible and make sure that uh, as many members of the public understand what we are doing with our money, um, because at the end of the day the decision of whether or not to stick with a particular policy or vision, uh, that decision is up to the people. Uh, And every four years when they elect a mayor, 
they are determining whether or not they want to stick with that vision or they want a new one. Coming in in the middle of the pandemic as the watchdog, how's that going? <laughs> uh, well, uh, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, the, the biggest impact has been uh, the pandemic um, made a lot of interaction that previously had been in person virtual. And so uh, for, to, to put that in perspective, I had a meeting earlier this week uh, over at the offices of the fire and police retirement systems. Uh, as the comptroller, I sit on their board and they have monthly meetings. But uh, earlier this week was the first time that I was ever physically in their office. Uh, because we've been doing all of those meetings uh, virtually since the pandemic began. And uh, even though uh, I, I believe it's officially over, uh, at least from the, uh, the, the federal uh, government has stated that the emergency is over, uh, what a lot of people found during that time was that meeting virtually in some ways is more efficient uh, than, than in-person meetings. And so the, the first thing I would say about uh, learning this job during the pandemic was learning it while uh, not actually meeting face to face with a lot of the people that I now work with. Interesting. We're also excited to be joined today, though, by my colleague, Musab Ibrahim. He's the Senior Research Assistant here with the Maryland Center on Economic Policy. Musab, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks so much for the introduction, Kevin. And it's great to meet you, Comptroller Henry. Um, yeah, I lead the Baltimore City uh, budget analysis for uh, for MedSEP, the Maryland Center on Economic Policy. Um, uh, just to respond, just to make a comment about virtual work, that's <laughs> precisely what enabled me to be work at MedSEP. So I definitely. Um, I definitely uh, second that, but yeah, essentially, I've been here for about two years now, and I'll um, and my work leading the city budget has, you know, taught me a lot about city budgeting in general, but also how you know about Baltimore specifically. So, they're definitely glad to be here. Well, glad to have both of you join us today. But before we get started discussing what's in the city budget, I'd like to talk a little bit about the budget process. Controller Henry, can you walk us through the city budget process? How how are spending decisions made? What steps does the city leaders you know have to take to ensure that the budget reflects what the community wants and needs, so forth? Sure, sure. First of all, the uh, the city's budget process is, um, for all intents and purposes, uh, a year long uh, process. the The budget bureau will get a couple weeks off uh, next month. Uh, because the 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 budget budget season is coming to an end this month uh, later in June. Well, we'll get to that when we go through it. But uh, the 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 process starts late summer, early fall of every year as uh, the budget bureau starts looking at the previous year's budget and uh, starts to request uh, input from the individual agencies for what they would need, um, what would be different in the coming year's budget. Uh, they put that together uh, in the fall and early spring of the year. Uh, they, um, they track economic forecast in an attempt to help project revenue. Uh, they uh, keep abreast of what's going on in Annapolis during the General Assembly session. 
uh, in the spring in terms of um, you know what money the city will and will not be getting from the state. And the the first draft of the budget, we'll call it, uh, comes as a preliminary budget recommendations from the bureau to the board of estimates in mid spring, uh, usually just before or, or just after the general assembly ends. But um, if it is before the general assembly session ends, then one of the things that happens during the board of estimates section of the process is uh, any corrections that need to be made to the budget because of last minute changes to the state budget uh, get integrated. Uh, during the spring, um, in recent years, the Budget Bureau has uh, tried to do community engagement uh, during the pandemic. That was a little more challenging than usual. Uh, but I remember when I was a council person uh, bringing members of the Budget Bureau staff out to my district and uh, they, would, uh, they would play what we call the budget game where they lay out a draft version of their budget online um, and it is really set up like a, like a computer game in the sense that you can make adjustments yourself depending on uh, what you think the city should and should not be spending money on. And um, I, I have found it useful in terms of helping people, uh, first of all, have a grasp of the wide range of services that the city uh, that the city provides and pays for, and also it's uh, it's been helpful giving people a sense of the scope of how much money we're talking about. Uh, a lot of people talk about we spend a lot of money on the police department, um, but not everybody knows what is a lot of money. Um, you know, in in our case, it's closing in on six hundred million dollars. A year, and um, and given the overall size of the budget, that's a fairly large, that's a fairly large chunk. But after um, the preliminary budget is delivered to the board of estimates, the board of estimates has the first of two taxpayer nights, which is an opportunity for the public to come and tell the board of estimates what they think of this draft budget. Um, the board of estimates. Uh, is supposed to take that feedback uh, and any changes uh, that it has from, say, you know, last minute changes to the state budget, incorporate that, and then the Board of Estimates will pass a final version of what is going to be submitted to the City Council. And that's kind of where we are right now in the process. The Board of Estimates has submitted um, the budget to the city council, and now the city council is having, it, the first city council has its own taxpayers night where the public gets a second bite at the apple to come in and this time tell the city council uh, what should be done. Um, and now the city council is having budget hearings with city agencies uh, this week and first part of next week. Um, where they ask their own questions and do their own due diligence into um, agencies' plans for next year and their performance uh, to date. And uh, at, uh, when the, after the budget hearings have been concluded, the city council will first, um, as a committee and then as a whole council, 
vote on the budget. If they're going to make any changes to the budget, those will likely come as uh, committee amendments. Uh, this year is going to be different than any previous year in that back in 2020, the voters approved uh, a charter amendment, which uh, I'm proud to say I introduced, uh, that gave the city council uh, more power over the budget than they previously um, had had. Until, until this year, the city council could only cut appropriations that the uh, mayor or the board of estimates had proposed. And beginning with this, uh, with this year's budget, if the city council wants to spend more money on something, it can do that simply by making cuts elsewhere and reallocating that money. Um, I have not yet had a chance to uh, have those conversations with the council in terms of, is that likely? Is there anything in the, uh, in the existing budget that they would uh, feel as a group needs to be reduced? And are there any increases that they can all agree on? Because you will need 10, a minimum of 10 of the 15 council members to agree to make any changes uh, if they want to ensure a veto-proof majority for um, making those changes to the budget. Quick, quick question out of curiosity. You were elected by the people to be the watchdog. Mm -hmm. um, that preliminary budget that comes before the Board of Estimates, is there a courtesy given to you to sort of see what going to come before you all first? Um, there's, a, 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 I'm going to say a minor courtesy in that we get briefed on the budget before the budget is publicly released. But, um, and this was a, I'll, I'll be honest, this was a real struggle the first year because the first year I was still thinking a lot like a council person. Mm -hmm. um, and as a council person, I would go into budget season every year, you know, looking through the agency detail books and looking for uh, suggestions that I would want to make and maybe were there areas where I could convince my colleagues we should get together and propose these cuts and try to negotiate additional things. That doesn't happen at the Board of Estimates level because um, as I have, as I've, as I've spent the last couple of years uh, explaining to people, the Board of Estimates is uh, the fiscal policy making body for the city. We approve all contracts, all purchases, and we propose the budget to the city council. But for all practical purposes, the Board of Estimates, uh, its five members are the mayor, the city council president, and the comptroller, all three citywide elected mm -hmm. officials. But then the fourth and fifth members are the city solicitor and the director of public works, both of whom work for the mayor. So for those of you following along at home, uh, on a five-person <laughs> board, the mayor has three votes. Um, the mayor does not have to look for votes on the board. Uh, the mayor has to, you know, even when the council couldn't move money around in the budget, the mayor still had to make sure that there were at least majority the council willing to vote for the budget. Um, and make sure that they weren't willing, they weren't trying to, to cut things. Um, at the Board of Estimates, there's never been any culture of, I got to get everybody in line 
to make sure that this moves forward because they already have the votes they need. So, um, so there's there's the courtesy of making sure we're briefed, but uh, the the comptroller doesn't really get any input into the 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 formulation of the budget, uh, which, just to be clear, is dramatically different from uh, prior to 1964 when the budget bureau worked for the comptroller, and it was actually the comptroller who put together the budget, but in cooperation and collaboration with the mayor, because the mayor has the three votes on the board of estimates to make sure that the budget moves forward. So there used to be more, um, you know, working together of the executive branch. Um, but when I think it was Theodore McKeldin, when he did that power grab, he made the working together part unnecessary. Thanks. That, that's a lot. Musab, as the controller mentioned, there has been a major shift and change um, in, in the role that the city council is now able to play with the budget process. Um, it, it mirrors the one that's taken place in Annapolis um, and gives a little ability to adjust the state budget on both at the state and at the local level, Maryland Center on Economic Policy, we supported both of the ballot measures. Why do you think this change is important? Yeah, well, as you just mentioned, Kevin, Maryland had an unusual uh, relationship between the legislature and the executive branches. Um, as you said, this was going on in Annapolis as well, and this was also going on this in the city as well. And so now those things are changed, and that allows for more like Bill said, working together between the two branches. Um, city council members are more accessible to their constituents versus like the mayor, for an example, uh, because the mayor, uh, just by his role, doesn't uh, represent as many people as the um, city council constituents, um, and, or they're just a lot more accessible to the uh, to the city councilmen's uh, council persons versus the mayor themselves. Um, so with this change, it creates greater opportunities for Baltimoreans to advocate for what their communities uh, need to thrive. Um, you know, we have the two taxpayers nights that, you know, seek input from the city residents. Um, you know, this is one of the mechanisms that might actually see those uh, recommendations move a bit forward. Um, and it also creates greater incentive for this mayor and the city to work together in terms of sharing the priorities to, um, to fund what the city needs. And while it might not be a guarantee that it happens, um, this process was very much necessary to at least foster that engagement. Hmm. Controller Henry, uh, what, what were some of the issues facing uh, the city financially going into this budget cycle? And in particular, how did that affect some of the choices that were before the mayor and the city council? Well, probably the biggest single issue before um, the city this year uh, in terms of uh, budget impact was uh, the uh, there was a shift in our projection of how much money we would need to uh, contribute in terms of our local commitment to the Baltimore City Public Schools. The Kerwin recommendations um, called for the state to provide more money to for public education, but uh, to leverage that uh, individual localities, we're also going to have to put more money in. Uh, and 
in our case, there had been an expectation that we would put a bunch of money in last year, but bunch more than usual. Uh, and then uh, over the next couple of years, there would be uh, significantly more modest increases. Uh, and then partly because of the overall economy, uh, aspects of the funding formula changed and the city, uh, the way they described it is we slipped out of a, an economic tier um, that had kept us from having to contribute as much more as some of the other subdivisions. And we slipped down into a tier with some of our other peer jurisdictions. And the financial upshot was we had to pay about $79 million more than we were expecting to pay uh, towards uh, city schools. This is the story that the city's budget bureau um, explained to us, to council members, um, and uh, the mayor put out uh, publicly, I believe the mayor referred to it as a gut punch um, to our expectations because until this realization um, became clear, we were actually on track to have a small surplus. Um, but this um, this additional uh, money spent on the public schools, which at the end of the day, is hard to say that's a bad thing, right? We're spending more money on city schools and they definitely need it. Um, but it, it did uh, create a little bit of a challenge um, for uh, the city in terms of trying to then balance the budget without making any significant cuts to existing services. Now, I, I feel obliged to say that um, when I later had a conversation with some folks at Baltimore City Public Schools, they were very confused by uh, the Budget Bureau story um, because they not, I mean, not that the money didn't really have to be paid, but they were confused by the idea that this was a surprise. Um, they believed that this had been clearly articulated last year and that what the where that big change had come from had actually been a purposeful effort to ease the first big hit last year by passing some of that on to this year. Um, since I very recently had that conversation, I have not had the opportunity to go back and uh, and see if I can dig out something from last year to show that the Budget Bureau knew that then. Um, but on some level, I'm not sure that, it, you know, it's, it's kind of moot. I mean, the money has to be paid. And whether the Budget Bureau wants to portray it as a surprise to them or not, you know, that may or may not be an effective emotional argument um, in terms of working with the council to keep the council from doing uh, something weird to the budget. Um, but the, the end of the day, we had to pay that $79 million, uh, to increase our commitment to city schools and the money that we have is the money that we have. Yeah, that that's, was a critical issue, but it, it's very much rooted in the politics of what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
at that level, community voices are very limited in sort of where they can enter the fray. Musaf, what are some of the needs that you're hearing? As we know, budget discussions are in full swing this week um, from community persons and residents. Uh, what have they been highlighting in this year's budget hearings? Yeah, I think one recurring theme has been to trim down the Baltimore Police Department's budget. Uh, this has been a conversation that's been going on for years now. Um, and it's, you know, we have one of the most... Um, we have a large police department with a large budget, and it takes up a larger share of the budget than most uh, comparable cities. And so, and it, you know, there have been mayors that campaign to def uh, defund the police or reroute the money from the police to other services. Uh, and so far, we've just been seeing an increase. And so, that's definitely one theme is to, you know, keep, keep uh, to trim down the police budget. Um, as it's been talked about for the last couple of years. Another big issue that's come up, I think in the last, particularly after this Maryland, um, the state session is um, renter's assistance. Uh, there's, been, um, there's been a lot of calls from coalitions to add, um, I believe uh, between five to $15 million in rental assistance for the city. Um, as the, you know, the rent burden is increasing for many communities in Baltimore. Um, and also, the, there are many other affordable housing conversations about uh, about how the city could use funds to incentivize affordable housing. Um, that's a nationwide issue, um, but it's no less more pronounced in Baltimore as well um, to be able to find affordable housing. Well, now now it looks like we're ready to go deeper into the actual budget. Musab, um, from your your perspective, what are some of the highlights of the mayor's proposed budget? And in particular, after you sort of share some of those things, uh, once the budget goes to the city council, do you recognize any major changes? Yeah, so the mayor has been fairly consistent with his budget priorities um, since he's become into office. Um, one of the biggest areas is, uh, you know, neighborhood safety and communities. Um, community safety. Uh, the mayor has the, um, I have the acronym, I don't have the full name, but the GVRS system, which is a more localized way of dealing with community and neighborhood violence. And there's a whole, you know, mayor has a whole um, sort of tracking mechanism to um, to sort of evaluate the performance there. And it's also reflected into the budget. Um, and so th this has been one of the big things on his priorities since he's come into office. Another big issue or big priority that I'd say is uh, parks and recreations. There's been um, not the largest push from uh, from the mayor's office to uh, really move those kind of move that needle a little bit, uh, but there's been increased conversations uh, between last fiscal year and this about dramatically upscaling um, the construction of those parks and the um, you know getting those to communities that are lacking in that case. Uh, one last thing I'll mention is infrastructure, and so obviously the budget the things that pay for infrastructure in the budget are capital dollars, and so I. Don't have the number right off the top of my head, but the capital budget did increase by a decent amount um, this fiscal year. And so w one of the things that the city long term needs to really uh, consider is sort of um, upkeeping and, you know, catching up on the maintenance 
of our infrastructure, whether that's the roads or the vertical buildings that the city owns as well. And so there's um, there it's been an ongoing conversation for a while, but it's uh, you know I think they're looking at more targeted ways to increase capital funding towards those projects and to get, you know dramatically upscale that um, that movement as well. Great. Um, to, to wrap up, as, as a city resident, proud city resident, I actually live like a block from where we're recording now, uh, I'd like to ask each of you, what do you think is the most important thing people like me who live in Baltimore should know about this year's budget? We'll start with the controller. Well, we touched a little bit on, on public safety, community safety. Uh, the police funding is uh, an incredibly important uh, issue before us. Uh, the the police department's budget is uh, a substantial uh, percentage of the overall city budget. And um, in the past, uh, as, as Musab mentioned, uh, candidates for mayor have talked about uh, defunding or reducing the amount of money we put into the police department. Uh, the mayor actually took a great deal of criticism um, at his first uh, taxpayers' night um, for the fact that uh, there were a number of people who came forward talking about how uh, they had voted for him because he had campaigned on uh, redirecting funding for the police into um, other, uh, in, in their view, more important uh, uses. And instead, the budget for the police had gone up. Um, the budget has gone up each year. Um, and uh, on the on the one hand, uh, I felt a great deal of sympathy uh, with those people because I myself have called for spending less on uh, the police uh, pretty much the entire time I was in the city council. Um, and um, and I would have liked to have seen the city put more money into youth development, uh, youth opportunities. Uh, I have had every single, police commissioner we have had has agreed with me privately that um, providing more opportunities for young people is something that makes their job as the police department easier. Uh, but it is not their job to give back money they've been appropriated so that that money can be spent um, to reduce the amount of work they have. Um, I believe the mayor has tried to convey, I don't know if this is how successful this has been. Um, at this point, the biggest impediment to spending less on the police department is not a lack of political will in city hall. At this point, the biggest impediment is the consent decree, the monitoring team, and the federal judge overseeing the consent decree. Um, and that's because they are follow they are following the consent decree, and the descent, and the consent decree, which was written back in 2016, um, and very early uh, 2017. Um, no, actually, I guess it was finished in 2016. Um, there is nothing in the consent decree about a smaller, cheaper police department being desirable. Um, the consent decree is all about a better behaved Baltimore City Police Department, one that is, um, you know, works more closely with the community, um, has um, one that the community trusts, you know, all, and, and I don't think anybody is, 
is has, has changed their mind on those goals. Those are all good goals. Um, but um, it specifically says in the consent decree that um, the city not having enough money is not a sufficient reason to not pursue the goals. And so what that effectively becomes is the consent decree is kind of a blank check to keep putting more money into the police department as long as we're moving towards making it a better department, which is, uh, you know, on some level, still a laudable thing. And I think we all want a Baltimore City Police Department that works well. Um, but that is the biggest challenge right now to sort of clawing back the literally hundreds of millions of dollars that we're paying to police our city and therefore do not have that money available to invest in the human capital of our city. Wow. Masal. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Bill. I think the police department, the, the Baltimore Police Department's budget is, I want to say a quarter, a percent, 25% of the city's full budget. So when you think about how maybe just a fraction of that can be put towards youth development, like the comptroller said, or what I was going to bring up, affordable housing, I think there's, there's much more good that can be done with that money spent on human capital than to, you know, police our city, essentially. Um, the, the bill brought up a good point about the consent decree. And one of the things within that as well is they need to modernize their technology and modernize their data collection systems. And, you know, that's been that's been something that's been touted as costing more money. And so, yeah, the 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 the, the consent decree is an impediment, but I also think the city needs to be more proactive in how they approach the, the human capital issues, thinking of innovative ways to solve the affordable housing issues, to solve the youth development issues or the parks and recreations issues. Um, I really think there needs to be a really a shift in the mindset of the just the city at large and how to address these problems. And we're making strides with, you know, the ballot measure to uh, give the council more power, um, but the need for the, the the social need for the social issues and the need for the funding to address those issues is still very much lacking, and um, it's it's yeah it's something that's going to take creative thinking and willpower to to remedy in the future. Thanks for that that response. Dr. King was right. Budgets really are moral documents. They speak to who we are. They speak to the type of communities that we want to live in. I could not be more excited uh, than the time we've shared. Thanks so much to the Baltimore City Comptroller, Bill Henry, and my colleague, Musab Ibrahim, for joining me. Uh, you can find podcast archives and references from this episode at mdeconomy.org slash policy dash lowdown. And while you're there, you can sign up for our email list or support the policy lowdown by making a donation to METSEP, the Maryland Center on Economic Policy, is celebrating this year its 10th anniversary. And all of you are invited uh, to party with us on September 27th. Yes, we are policy wonks, but <laughs> policy wonks know how to party, too. At the Reginald Lewis Museum here in Baltimore, we will have remarks from the Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson. He is a civil rights advocate and current president and CEO of the Children's Defense Fund, along with other special guests. 
soon to be announced. Uh, you can find more information at mdeconomy.org slash events. And you can also find the Maryland Center on Economic Policy at MD Economy on Twitter and Instagram and MD Economic Policy on Facebook. Thank you again for joining us. See you next time. And, and rebel while rousing.